Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Our first scripture for today is Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. I will take you from all the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and your spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statues and be careful to observe my ordinances. Then you shall live in the land that I gave to your ancestors and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is taken from 2 Corinthians. This is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We are in chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. Listen for the word of the Lord. Indeed, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a lady who was a pillar of the church is in the midst of worship one Sunday morning, and they come to take the offering. She fumbles in her purse and out drops onto the hardwood floor a large television remote. And the usher, standing right there, a little shocked, picks up the remote and says, Mrs. Jones, why in the world are you carrying a television remote? And she says, well, I couldn't get my lazy husband up and out of bed this morning off the couch, so I figured I'd do the most evil thing I could that was legal. I took his remote. (laughs) Her husband having some difficulty with change in changing his Sunday morning ritual. Today we are talking about change. We are talking about transformation. As we look at the 2 Corinthians passage, if you remember a few weeks ago, we were in 1 Corinthians and talked about Corinth itself, the setting of that as being um, a city that was connecting 
between two bodies of water on an isthmus, a land bridge. Either side, uh, ships came. It was a port city. It was a wealthy city. Many pagan gods, many idols, much wealth called Sin City of that ancient biblical time. And into it, Paul comes in to help instruct his church in the ways of turning away from the false idols, not seeking power and glory for your sake. So now we're in 2 Corinthians. We're farther down at one time, one large document. We think Paul wrote this one as well, maybe with Timothy, but it was probably a collection of a degree of letters that were kind of mashed together. Uh, all from Paul, all to the church. But this later half is concerned more with the unity in the church as false leaders had arisen. As you can imagine, trying to start a religion from nothing, trying to get some understanding of it, and then folks then think they got it and they stand up and some have malicious intent. And Paul is spending some time in 2 Corinthians working with these folks to understand that it is Christ who is our leader. You don't worship these other people as idols. So into this, he talks about Moses. And the, the specific reference is Old Testament Exodus when Moses comes down with the tablets. He has spent time in God's presence. How do we know that? Well, because he wrote it down, but it was observable because his face was glowing. His face was shining, literally reflecting the light of God by being in God's presence, so much so that he was scaring people when he came down and he had to put a veil on himself until that glow faded eventually. This was a transformation of sorts as a way to say that through Moses, God was shining God's light, Moses acting as a mirror to reflect God's light. Moses was transformed. He was changed on that mountain as he spent 40 days in God's presence, came down with the law, and he was transformed and came down to transform others. The transfiguration story of Jesus up on the mountain, if you remember, he was with Peter, James, and John and went up and all of a sudden on the mountaintop, they saw Moses on one side, Elijah on the other, and then they disappeared and Christ was transfigured. Light was shining. He was somewhat translucent and a voice, again, as in his baptism, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And that's when Peter says, let's stay here. This is great. I'm going to build some booths for you oh, guys. We're going to, nope, nope. We've got to go off of the mountain. We've got to go back to the world because they were transformed and sent to transform others to reflect that same light that others would see this glow. Transformation. It's not easy. Kind of a fancy churchy word for change. Change. We don't like change. Nobody likes change. We're going to start with 
our individual journey in this. We are all followers of Christ, or at least we're open to that possibility. One of the things that Christ is always in the process of doing is trying to move us to the next point. The danger in following and having everything figured out and set and not really pushing ourselves to take the next step or step out of our comfort zone, if only baby steps, is that we become complacent. We sit in place, we do the same things, we think the same things, we study in the same way, and we are not learning, we are not growing, we are not serving, and we are not changing and or being transformed. But transformation is hard and scary. Why? Because if we trust God and we open ourselves and we fully give ourselves to the presence of Christ, we are often afraid of what might be the result. Am I going to be some kind of crazy Jesus freak thumping the Bible? Am I going to have to sell everything I have and live in a tent? What is God going to say, whatever you are doing, you have to stop these things, or whatever you're not doing, you have to do these things? We're all busy people. It's not so much more that you have to do. It's more a reorienting. It's more a shuffling of our priorities. Transformation weighs heavy on us because we don't know what we're being transformed to. We all know about Stradivarius, the violin maker, became world-renowned, but didn't start that way. He was poor when he started to put his violins together. He did not have access to top quality materials, not these exotic woods that were thought to be the best conductor of notes and sound. And as my understanding is, he took wood that was in what they called a dirty harbor that was near where he worked, took this dirty waterlogged wood out, dried it, and that's what became these instruments that had uncommon musical tonality. So everybody started to try to figure out why that was. He was using poor quality materials, what would be considered trash wood that had been discarded and floating in dirty water. Well, what they came to understand was that in that dirty water, there were microbes that attached themselves to the wood that would eat out little cells and make fibrous pockets in the wood itself that would help the tonality and make the music resonate that much more than just normal wood. He didn't know he was doing it. They didn't know, but yet this process is taking place from this cast-off material to the most exquisite instruments in the world. Often we are in that same position. We see ourselves as that wood. Yes, sometimes people can use us. Sometimes we do great things. But when we have that self-doubt that says, I don't know if I can step out. I don't know if I can share this faith. I don't know if I can go to that class. I don't know if I can go and serve somebody because of this, because of that. 
I don't know if I can join. I don't know if I can invite others. I don't know about this Bible study, this prayer business. We leave ourselves as that wood that will certainly not be used. But when we open ourselves and we trust, we know that God is doing the same thing with us as Stradivarius did with his wood, except God knows it. We are all in the process of being made into these fine-tuned instruments of transformation to reflect the light of Christ. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Who doesn't want that? Well, anybody who has to change, that's who. (laughs) Because again, there's a threat to us that our way that we have figured out, we have carved out our existence, we have made erroneously think we have made our own path and set ourselves on it. We've got this life figured out. But it is God who is at the center. It is God who has blessed us with what we have. It is God who has set us on our path. And when we follow, when we recognize that, and when we allow ourselves to be open to the presence of the Spirit, amazing things can happen. Trust is a big part of that, and we have a hard time with trust. Opening ourselves and giving ourselves to God, well, what's God going to do with us? Amazing things. Trust is hard. Um, The preacher, author, theologian Frederick Buechner shares a story where he was in traffic one day and had pulled over to the side of the road. He was emotional about an illness with his daughter. And as he was sitting there on the side of the road, some cars pull up next to him at the light, and he looks over, and on the back of this car is a license plate that says, trust. He looks at it again. It says, trust. And he thinks, is this the word of God? Is this a coincidence? He took it to be life-changing. He saw it as an epiphany a reminder to him that God was working and speaking to him directly through this just random car that is going by. So it meant something to him. Sometime later, he was sharing this story about this car with a a local news agency, and the driver of that car saw that story. So he found Beekner, went to his home, and he gave him the license plate. As it turned out, this was a bank employee, a trust officer in a bank. It had nothing to do with he thought what it had to do, but God was speaking through it. Buechner accepted the license plate, put it in his office on his bookshelf, and counts it among his most holy of relics, in his words. A reminder that we need to trust God, especially in the worst and most challenging of times. It's so hard. I know it. I know it. It it pushes us to that ultimate example of Christ at the Garden of Gethsemane, who is praying fervently, his friends all all asleep, the disciples, he's alone. He knows what's getting ready to happen. And in essence, to paraphrase, says, God, if there's any other way for this to happen, I, I would prefer that, but not my will, but your will be done. 
He trusted God. He trusted God's plan and God's process, even though it would mean difficulty, pain, and hardship for him. That same trust that we seek to have enables us to open ourselves in trust to be that reflection of light as Moses and Christ were. So we start with our own transformation. And this happens in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's momentary when we have these kingdom moments. Sometimes our conversion moments, that couldn't have been anything else but God speaking to me, interacting with me. Sometimes in a class, in worship, on a mission trip, on the zip line when you're screaming out to God, you find God's presence and comfort. Lottery, 1.3 billion. You think the prayer life of this nation has increased? I guarantee it. Let the bargaining begin. Dear Jesus, guess what I will do for you if you let me win that money? It can happen in moments, but we are always in a process of being refined by God's refined, uh, a refiner's fire. Always in the process of being transformed as much as we allow ourselves to be. If we open ourselves and we are aware and we see that license plate go by and you say, you know what? I, I, that, that's God speaking to me. If you hear that song, you see that show, you read that book, you have that interaction, you have that conversation, that event comes to you right where you are, that is the Holy Spirit working. God calls us at all times and in all places. We need to be open to answering that call. So it begins with our individual transformation. Okay, now that really just affects us. Although, like Moses and Jesus, we are transformed so that we can go and transform others by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have our individual peace. Then we shift to First Presbyterian Church. Uh-oh, look out. Transformation as a group can sometimes be that much more difficult. How do we open ourselves as a family of faith, as a church with fantastic foundational tradition and history, a great present and a fantastic future? How do we change and in what ways, or do we do that at all? Got one word for you, blockbuster. Everybody remember my generation older? I guess they've been around. Used to go to the video, get in your car, and you would drive to the video store, and there'd be other people there walking around. The videotapes would be on the wall and shifted to, to DVDs. And you would spend what always seemed to be an inordinate amount of time looking for the right one. And then you took it, you went in line, Paid your money, you went, you had a couple days. If you didn't bring it back, there was the late fee. If you didn't rewind, there might be another fee on top of that. At Blockbuster's peak, they had 9,000 retail stores and 60,000 employees. 
9,000 stores, 60,000 employees. It was the Starbucks of its day before Starbucks was everywhere. Blockbusters were everywhere. Where Blockbuster started to get itself into trouble was when a fledgling Netflix came on to the scene. Netflix started by sending videos to you in your home. You would use that, that internet and you would have far more choices and you could stay at home and it would come to your house and there were no late fees. You could keep it as long as you wanted. There was no rewind. There was no penalty. You kept it and when you were done with it, you sent it six months later, eh, fine, just send it back. And that's what began Netflix, a, comp, uh, a competitor to Blockbuster who couldn't see the world was changing, who couldn't see their corner of the world was changing. They rested on their, look, we got 9,000, you're telling me how to do, how to operate. Look at, we're, we're top of the world. And then things started to change. As the model in this, it was a, a LinkedIn uh, article I was reading about this, said that Blockbuster covered their basic uh, financial needs through the renting of the videos, but it was the late fees that gave them profit. And it was the late fees that everybody hated. What time is it? What time is it? When do we get it? What day is it? We got it. Ah, late fees. Netflix didn't have any of that. It's guilt-free. Take it. Enjoy it. Just get it back to us whenever you want. And things started to change. As Netflix increased, Blockbuster decreased. And as Netflix started this service, they started introducing streaming movies, meaning live. You don't even have to wait for the movie to get to you. You can do it right through your TV. You don't have to deal with a disc. You don't have to deal with a, a DVD player or a tape player. Live streaming then started their own content, started their own shows, their own movies. And now they're a tremendous player. They set the model for streaming that now has become the norm on your phone, on your computer, on your TVs at home, smart TVs. Meanwhile, Blockbuster is over here, refusing to change its model, but trying to dress up in a couple of different ways. They tried, they were banking on the fact that you wanted to walk into the store and have that experience. So they brought, they tried to make their lobbies more welcoming. They started selling books and toys and other things to try to get you in. But at the end of the day, Netflix already had them beat. They were wrong in their assumption. People didn't love the experience of coming in and hanging out. They would much rather it be an easier, less cumbersome, financially less cumbersome experience. And towards the end, Blockbuster saw, but it was too late. They launched their own home movie uh, mail service. They even started to stream toward the end, but in the end, it was too late. People had moved on to the new. And now, how many Blockbusters are left? One in Bend, Oregon. 
that a few months ago, the story was making the rounds. I said, I'm going to use that at some point. Today is that day. Bend, Oregon, the last store from their 9,000 remains. They buried their heads in the sand and they said, we are who we are. We don't care what happens until they had to file for bankruptcy. As a church, we can find ourselves in the same position. We have a tremendous history and one that needs to be celebrated. And remember, it is our foundation as Christ is at the core. But where we are now, it is necessary for us to look and to see and look around and see what the world, what, what the world is and where it is going. As much as we see church as a, a, a stale and wooden building, which I hope is not our impression, but that's the way the world sees it, the church has been a living thing from day one and will be until Christ comes again. It is a living thing. We are always seeking to change who we are in response to who is coming, where we are, what's going on in our neighborhood, community, and world. And if we're not, then we're sticking our heads in the sand and we are ensuring that we will not succeed. What if when we started in the 1830s, let's say 1830 to 1875, they started their church, our church. They had to move around a little bit here and there in town, finally got things going. What if they said, we're not changing a thing. We, start, we got this figured out. We wouldn't be here today. Into the 1900s. What if they said, this is who we are, another 20 or 30 years. This is our generation. We know how to do church. We're not changing a thing. Where would we be? Not here. Through the middle of the 1920s, up through the wars, through the economic challenges and environments, through the changes of government, political influences, the church had to change in order to adapt, grow, survive, flourish, and minister to the community of its day. If any of our saints that went before us here at First Presbyterian, staff, body, church, all of it, would have said, we do what we do, we don't care what's going on around us, we would not be here today. And if we say that ourselves, we will not be here tomorrow. Now that doesn't mean we sell out who we are. That doesn't mean we change everything and overnight all of a sudden we're something we're not but it does mean that we need to be trying some changes. It does mean that we need to try and reach out to different generations and to see, engage where we are as a church, where our community and the world are. And when we can open ourselves and trust God the same way that Beekner did the same way that Moses did coming down from the mountain, we will be able to reflect that love, that light of Christ that God is needing us to do. It's not easy and we will disagree. 
But we've got to take steps, just as I asked you to do individually, to step out of those comfort zones and try some new things, to allow change, to allow transformation. We have to do that as a congregation as well. But my vow and promise to you is that we will do that together. I have no agenda. I don't have all the right answers. I'm just going to blanket cover you with. We're going to do this together by the prompting of the Spirit. And sure, there's some unknown there. There's some anxiety there. But I have no desire to change us, to change our history, to make us something we're not, or to go someplace we don't want to be. But I do know that we cannot remain stagnant and remain a viable, dynamic church. Where we will go, I don't know, but I am excited. And we need every one of you to come and be a part of this family, to work on your own transformation as we are being led to then go out into the community and the world to reflect that light. What a call. What a call. We are so lucky to be who we are, where we are in this time in the world, and Christ is calling out to us. So let's join hands. Let's go together. Let us trust God and let us be transformed as we seek to mirror that glow of Christ in the world. Hallelujah. Amen.